Hello and welcome to this podcast, Focus on Modern Slavery. My name is Debbie Huxton and I'm a modern slavery campaigner for the Litchfield Diocese Mothers' Union, supported by Transforming Communities Together and the Clure Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to raise awareness of the evil crime of modern slavery, human trafficking and county lines, to engage in meaningful conversations that highlight the plight of those victims enslaved, and give a voice to those who are being unjustly treated and cannot speak for themselves, to set the captives free. Each episode will bring you a great discussion from interviews with those involved in all aspects of working towards eradicating modern slavery, and thought-provoking stories from those that have been victims themselves, to information on how you can help bring an end to this devastating exploitation of human life. Together, we can change the narrative from one of indifference to making a difference. Together, we can make a difference. Hello and welcome to this next episode of Focus on Modern Slavery podcast. It's great to have you listening in. I'm James and I'm the producer and today we've got a real treat for you. Debbie will be chatting to Bryn Freya-Smith, the Head of Security and Risk at Justice and Care and the founder of Blue Bear Coffee Company. So why not grab a lovely fair trade coffee, put your feet up and listen to two great people chatting about justice and modern slavery. So, hi Bryn. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Uh, so, let me introduce you to our listeners today. So, I know you as Bryn from Blue Bear Coffee because I was introduced to you via your podcast, Justice and Coffee. So, we'll get that plug in straight away that if anybody does want to come and listen to more of Bryn at the end of this, they can find you on your podcast justice and coffee and we do encourage them to come and listen to you because you have some great um information on there great guests and um great interview i love your technique i am learning from a master so i've got you i've got you um down from just stalking you on linkedin you know as you do as head of security and risk at justice and care and founder of blue bear coffee i could go in and read the little bit that you've got here about yourself but i'll let you explain who are you do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners such a difficult job isn't it introducing yourself um but yeah, I, uh, you're right to have made those observations from, from your bit of due diligence. I work um, 30 hours a week for an amazing anti-trafficking organisation called Justice in Care. And I have a background in security and the police. So I came to them in October um, to help them with their security and risk management. And then the uh, final day of my week and all the other bits in between uh, are given to Blue Bear Coffee Company. So I... Uh, run a specialty coffee company that's an online business it's a social enterprise and it was founded as a means of raising money and awareness for amazing organizations that are actively and effectively fighting the issue of human trafficking and modern day slavery so that's what i do uh, who i am is a far more profound and difficult question to uh, to chat to deal with and to to um explain but uh, 
I'm 34 years old. Um, at the moment, we're living through the coronavirus pandemic. So I've left a, a flat that I own in South London to bunk up with my parents. Um, I don't have a family, so I'm feeling like I'm my sort of gone back 20 years and I'm my 14 year old boy self again in my parents' <laughs> spare room. So life and, and identity feels somewhat um, altered at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm very blessed. I consider myself an extremely fortunate person having, having done lots of things and experienced the world. And, and some of those experiences certainly uh, leads me to take stock of just how blessed I am. Um, mm. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. Oh, I love that. That was very good. Some people could take your lead on that. That was for perfect. So just something you just said then where you said you've gone home um, to live with your parents. And uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking with your dad. So I know that you, you are being well looked after. And, um, so, you know, we'll big up your dad, Andrew, right there. And then we'll give him a shout out. Um, it was a, such a wonderful conversation I had with him. Um, but just to come back to a little thing that you just said that that your identity and life have altered slightly because of um, having to go back um, in this time of lockdown and as you were saying that I was just had the thought that you know the conversation that we're having today is because you and I have a, a mutual uh, passion if you like to pursue justice for those people that have have had their freedom taken away and are being exploited um, and when you said about identity and lives that are altered, the good thing for us is that as lockdown is released, we get to step back outside of our front doors. We get to go and live out our freedom again, if you like, that the, the, our government in this country have taken our safety as paramount. And um, but we have the luxury of freedom once this uh, pandemic sort of starts to ease and lockdown starts to ease. But what came to mind to me is many of those people who we are fighting on behalf of or speaking out for, they haven't got that luxury. Their identity and their, their lifestyle has been altered potentially for the rest of their lives because they will live through the trauma of, of what they have experienced. So tell me a little bit about then, based on that, how Blue Bear came to being, because I think the story is incredible. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, it sort of starts about five or six years ago when I left the police force I was a police officer in Norfolk for four years as a uniformed response bobby going along to 999 calls and around Norwich and uh, yeah. I enjoyed it but I decided to uh, transfer to the mayor in, in, in a hope to advance my career and I yeah. worked as a surveillance officer in East London in a beautiful uh, part of London called Newham and uh, after a year of doing that, I was completely and utterly stressed out. <laughs> so I decided to take a, a career break and effectively leave the police. I never returned. So, so I did, and I did it quite suddenly. I sat down one day at my desk and typed out a resignation. And before I knew it, I was, I was out, out of a job that I had planned to have a, career, sort of a longer term career in. And I was out there without really a cargo net to jump into or a plan. Um, so I got a flight and flew to Mexico and spent three months sort of wandering the, the south of the country and the beautiful beaches and just spending some time on my own and traveling and sort of really considering what I was going to do outside of the police force. And uh, I came back, started a security company, you sort of use what you know. And uh, it was certainly 
I think it went down on record as being Norfolk's least successful security company of all time, possibly a national record, actually. We, we almost got zero work, despite a great deal of effort from me and my, my business partner. So it landed me up in um, uh, back in uh, London, where I got a job working for a, as a bodyguard for a royal family um, from the Middle East. I spent the next three or four years with a number of different clients, um, all at a similar sort of... Uh, you know, profile, very high profile, very high wealth, uh, very high status. And it was a remarkable experience. It really was a privileged mm. experience. But after several years of doing that, I found myself at a venture capital firm in Mayfair providing security advice to a board of directors. And I sort of thought, what am I doing here? You know, this, this is great, but it's not really achieving anything that I feel it has great purpose or meaning or... I just wasn't really driving a great deal of uh, pleasure or satisfaction from that role. And I met with a good friend of mine who asked, um, you know, what would you do if you were to take out the need to earn money and pay rent? What would you choose to do? Mm. And I remembered an amazing organization that I'd been sponsoring with a, a very small and modest direct debit for a long time called International Justice Mission. And they are headquartered in Washington, D.C., and they're the, the largest anti-slavery agency in the world. So they have a, a footprint, I think, in 17, 18 countries, something like that. And they, they're very much leading the way in, in a sort of NGO um, fight against the issue of modern slavery and human trafficking. Just so tell I, us what NGO stands for, Bryn, just for those that are listening that might not know what that is. Yeah, so an NGO is a non-governmental organisation, so it's as a charity. So obviously FBI, CIA, NCA, the police, these are all government agencies, but an NGO it doesn't have government uh, a government affiliation, so right. it's largely funded by private sources of funding, not government funding. Not in all cases, but... Um, so I went to work for them and they sent me to the Dominican Republic. I was actually headed for South India to a place called Bangalore for a labour trafficking job. And then they called me a couple of weeks after I was sort of getting my jabs done in preparation and, and packing my, my stuff. And they said, hey, do you fancy swapping and going to the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean, to which it was a very easy yes for me. <laughs> They'd seen that I'd left my Spanish GCSE on my CV. And, uh, and I'm so glad I did. They asked me to do a telephone interview with the, the project director in the Dominican Republic. And amazingly, I managed to blag it with about three and a half Spanish words in my vocabulary. Wow. But, uh, mercifully, he, he allowed me to join his project. And um, so I spent 12 months in the Dominican Republic. The project there was focused on the commercial sexual exploitation of children. Very simply. Mm. Very simply, that's sex trafficking of children. So... Mm. Um, if you're a child, um, you know, we do not believe there's any agency uh, or any decision making on your part to enter into the sex industry. So it is, um, you know, it's it's trafficking. Mm -hmm. And if if a child is being exploited, they're being controlled. If someone else is profiting from um, from their exploitation, from the sale of their body, that's a trafficking case. So that was what the, the project focused on. And I went to work as an investigator there. And in answering your question in a very long and roundabout way, mm. um, I, I went out on an operation about six months into my time there where we'd got a complaint from a child who had spoken to our school teacher. And yeah. the school teacher told, to, told the local police and the local police told us and we, we responded with an operation and she'd been um, abused, uh, sexually abused for a, for a long time. She was only a young teen as it was. Um, and now actually mum had begun to to sell her to people in the community um, in exchange for, for money and for drugs. 
and she'd never said anything about it, but she had a little sister and a little brother. And yeah. she was beginning to notice some predatory attention go in their direction. So she thought, I've got to do something. So she spoke up and, and we responded and she was taken away from that situation with her brother and sister um, and, and, and placed in a shelter and mum was arrested. And so were the other people that were responsible for her abuse. But when that happened, my colleague does that work, you know, as an investigator, you, go, you don't get to kick the door down and sweep the child mm. up and, and feel like a hero. It's not, that's not our role. Our role is to gather evidence and step back. But my colleague did do that uh, to some extent. And she sent me this picture of her in the back of the car, said, we're all safe and well, and we're just headed for the, for the shelter home. And she had this ragdoll teddy on her lap, a blue teddy bear. And my colleague told me that she'd asked her, listen, we're gonna go back to your house. If you want us to collect anything for you, any clothing, any valuable items, we'll get them for you. And the only thing she requested was a blue teddy bear. And it really wasn't, it didn't resemble what we'd imagine a teddy bear to look like. And it just broke my heart when I saw this image that of all the things this woman, this young mm -hmm. girl, sorry, um, valued was, was a rag doll. That was it, probably given to her by an abusive parent. And uh, I didn't know what to do with that. It's so complex, it's so dark and it's so heavy, but I wanted to do something. And uh, I went back that Christmas and I spoke to some friends and, and, uh, and my pastor at church and said, what do I do about this? And I thought, well, let's raise some money. Let's raise a little fund. Uh, and, and obviously I couldn't go on social media, couldn't make it a big thing because I was working undercover. So um, it was a small group of us that chipped in, but we got about 2000 pounds together. So when I went back in January, and get to work with the aftercare departments. My job never really involved that side of things. My job was getting the evidence. It wasn't yeah. care. That's mm. a very different type of work. But I got to work for the next six months with the aftercare department and say, listen, there's a, there's a chunk of cash here. How can we help you? So we went out and bought 500 pounds worth of teddy bears, which were ample. And they're still giving them out now uh, on operations and, and age appropriate toys for, for the survivors who are already in our care. And that was a real fun blessing. But also there was money for the slightly more complicated and, and difficult life needs of our participants and our survivors. So some of them didn't want to go to school because they didn't have school uniform or materials to go to school. It's becoming so prohibitive for them. Well, we can we can help with that and we could help with all sorts of healthcare needs. And it just went so far. £1,500 is not a huge amount of money to someone who lives in this country. Mm. Um, and I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But, but over there it went so far. So at the end of that year, I thought, what if I could do this and scale it? What if I could do this commercially? I am not uh, the next Gary Haugen, who is uh, the, the CEO of um, uh, IJM or the founder. You know, I'm not Christian Guy, who's the CEO of Justice Get. These guys are remarkable and they're so talented and educated. But for whatever reason, I thought I could start a business rather than a charity. And I'm not sure where that sense of confidence came from. All of my previous exploits were complete and utter failures, but I felt compelled to start something. And I started a, a coffee business and it's called Blue Bear Coffee, named after that experience, because it, it's so important that we're focused around why we're doing this. We're not doing it to be a hipster boutique coffee business. I mean, I love coffee, yeah. um, but Me there too. are lots of companies doing that and they're doing it very well. We're doing it for the, for the, the sole purpose of championing this cause, of bringing awareness to this cause, of raising financial support for this cause. Mm -hmm. We're uh, 
cause-based organization that happens happens to sell coffee and, and i think it's important we get it the right way around so it's called blue bear and it, it reminds me of of why we're doing it and it's going well so far so that's my extremely uh, verbose answer to your very uh, acute question oh it's, it's incredible and it's that word that's just jumped out at me compelled compelled to do something you know that seed was sown when you saw that blue bear that blue bear represents so much doesn't it um, and when you first told me this story, it's resonated with me ever since. I can't get that picture out of my head. And, you know, I think when we, when those of us that move into an arena of justice in whatever area you're in, it's that compulsion, isn't it? A compulsion to want to make a difference. That compulsion to know that there is somebody out there relying on us to make a difference. Um, so that story to me, and I'm sure it will resonate to, to many hearts that are listening to this today. So if people did want to go to your website, just, just give them the, the website address, because I think it's important that we share these things because, you know, it has a, a call to action. So um, let's share your website address. I will put it in the link with the podcast, but please do share that address, Bryn. Great. Yeah. So it's bluebearcoffee.com. Yeah. Um, we're on twitter and facebook and instagram and linkedin and all those places so that's where you'll find all the information and we've got links on there to our podcast and other things we're involved in brilliant isn't it amazing you you gave away your age 34 years on this planet and yet look what you have achieved you've kind of put yourself down a little bit saying you know all of these failures have led to this moment i like to think of failures as feedback not actually failing you've had many lessons along the way but you clearly weren't in your what we call grace zone and now you are because you're flourishing and you you know you're thriving and you're clearly so passionate about this um so it's exciting to see where this is going to lead you you know if i if i came back to interview you in 34 years time what will you have achieved i might be a bit more wrinkly and uh, i might be having help to speak to you because i'm a little bit older than you but but it will be incredible to see what you achieve um so let's dig a little bit deeper then that's kind of a bit of a behind the scenes look so you started off in norfolk you know uh, answering 999 calls as a police officer then you um go into uh, bodyguarding a, a royal a middle eastern is that what you said royal family and then you end up out um undercover looking at child exploitation out in um, dominican republic in the caribbean and it's just an incredible journey and now you're back here uh with justice and care and obviously with blue bear coffee but i want to dig behind because i am fascinated by what what compels people but also is there a link between all of the people like you and i that are doing this is there something that drives us that we have in common so i'm kind of on a bit of a mission to find out more about human psychology and um you know how we get involved in these things as well as speaking about justice because I think that what we can see from pod podcasts and uh, television is that people buy into people and we want people to know our heart for this matter, don't we? Because we are we are just so determined to make a difference. So tell me, how how would you describe yourself? How would you actually or how would you want to be described? What get what gets you up in the morning and how would you want to be described? Gosh. How would I want to be described is, is a difficult question. Um, I know that I'm not a big uh, Myers-Briggs sort of person, you know, these personality tests. There's one 
I think it's American, forgive me if it's not, but I certainly know all of my American friends are far more aware of it than, than we are in the UK called the Enneagram. Have you heard of it? Yeah, that? the Enneagram, yeah. Well, I'm told that I'm an Enneagram 3, um, okay. which is the achiever. Yeah. which um which has a number of positive and negative features to it i actually read it when someone told me and it was like oh i'm not unique in any way at all here i am on a piece of paper defined um very driven you know i think there's, it's important to have a purpose and um i i struggle to pause and i struggle to really enjoy a period of contentment because i'm always thinking about the next thing um you know like you've mentioned I've done a few things and traveled a bit and still trying to keep life very interesting and don't like to allow the grass to grow under my feet for too long and actually one of the good things of um, this period uh, of the coronavirus lockdown is it's like I've had to slam on the brakes I've been forced into um, sort of slowing life down and I've really enjoyed it. I've really, I think I've benefited from it. I think my productivity has increased despite the fact that life feels slower. Um, so I do, I think I, I'm somewhat hyperactive, uh, undiagnosed ADHD. And, um, and yeah, I, I need to be doing things. I really struggle to sit down and spend an afternoon reading. That would be a challenge for me. Um, so, so life's fairly busy around me and I think most people that know me would make the same observation. So we could kind of sum it up by saying you're a doer. You're somebody that doer. likes to be doing yes. with a purpose. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, with a purpose. A doer with a purpose. Not a busy fool. Absolutely. Not. And I love the fact that you use productivity over I've, I've got loads done, I've been really busy because productivity shows again a sense of purpose. The things that we do do add value. So um, tell me if I was to say to you, what's your favourite quote? Who do you admire and, and who do you find yourself quoting a lot when you're, you're trying to, um, you know, get people to understand the weight of what we are trying to campaign for, which is yeah. justice? Yeah, I'm not very good on quotes. I love reading them and I love sort of putting them on our social media channels, but actually being able to sort of remember and recite them is a real challenge for me. Um, but there is one quote that, that I parroted out the other day. It sort of came out quite easily, which I was so happy about, <laughs> um, which was a Wilberforce quote. It was a yeah. quote from William Wilberforce when he said, you, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say that you didn't know. And it's not an inspiring quote. I think it's quite a convicting quote. Very. And I think what he was saying 200 something years ago was this is a reality that you can't ignore um, mm. and you can't claim to be unaware of. And I think for me, that is exactly the case today, if not more so. We are armed in this information generation with yeah. so much about uh, what's going on we can't claim to not know and uh, and I think with that knowledge we should respond and I, I want I never want to guilt people into action it's mm. not about that it's about empowering people mm. and encouraging people mm. and acknowledging people what we've tried to do with Blue Bear was not to go out and do it all and celebrate ourselves but to find people that are doing it and celebrate them and encourage them, the likes of IJM, 
Justice in Care, who's my current employer. Unseen is another one of our charity partners. Unseen are an incredible UK-based charity, and they run mm. the national anti-trafficking hotline in this country, which is an yeah. extremely difficult job, as well as uh, safe houses and all sorts of other good stuff. We want to we want to applaud them. We want to lift them up. Um, yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. But I do think that that rather difficult challenge from Wilberforce you know you can choose to look the other way but you can't say that you don't know mm. is is absolutely right for today's age too 100% so just for those people that are listening that may not know who William Wilberforce is do you just want to kind of just let them know who William Wilberforce is yes yes it will be a very vague and inaccurate biography on my part but Wilberforce is a, is a key character in the anti- um, transatlantic slave trade uh, of the 1800s so when a lot of people think about slavery they still have these images of Africans locked up in chains on ships for good reason because mm -hmm. that was what it looked like mm. back then mm. um, it's interesting actually the products that that were what they used slaves to farm were the likes of cocoa and coffee yeah. and, and and minerals and cotton and all the same products that we see cases of slavery are yeah. uh, present certainly in labor slavery and labor trafficking mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. you think gosh what progress have we made but mm -hmm. um wilberforce was uh, was an mp and he was a very strong christian and he made it his um his case to champion alongside a number of other people but to champion um the end of slavery outlawing slavery mm -hmm. in the uk and, uh, and and he was largely criticized for it but he he was a leader and and he carried that movement forward and it was achieved mm -hmm. so he's certainly an inspirational character when we look back over history at this issue mm -hmm. um, but it i just find it remarkable that we all know who wilberforce is or anyone that's involved in in this issue in some way yeah. will we'll be familiar with that name but you think well what happened then afterwards that we're still dealing with it today and i yeah. i think there's been a growing drive over the last two decades mm. to get involved in um, fighting modern slavery and human trafficking but that doesn't really account for the other 180 odd years uh, it's just it's it's fascinating to me um, mm. that we're still here and we're still tackling it and to some extent as the information goes up as we start to classify slavery mm. and the numbers seem to go up and and yes. I mean, the latest figure that is most commonly referenced is about 40 million, about 40.3 million people um, that, that meet that um, definition of, of slavery. In the, and that's actually more people uh, in the days of the slave trade. So um, that's an extraordinary reality. Yes. And, and I think those, like you mentioned earlier, that word compulsion, mm. when you're armed with that knowledge, I think it, it's so important to find a way of responding if only to inform yourself and educate yourself i certainly don't like the idea if i'm ever blessed with a family uh, of a grandchild coming up to me and saying hey dad did you know there's a problem in the world hey granddad did you know there's a problem in the world with slavery you know, what did you do about it in your life mm. you know i want to know that i did something mm. i gave my mm. something um so yeah i've gone off on one there look. 
No, it's great. It's great. It's exactly what we're campaigning for. And thinking about, you know, William Wilberforce in 1833, that's when the, you know, it was the abolishment came about. And here we are still having this conversation in 2020. And I'm thinking about you talking about grandchildren there and the legacy that we hand on to the next generation and the generations that come after it. We have an opportunity to make a difference with the information that we have. And like you said, it's about empowerment. Um, a quote that um, I once heard, and I, I can't quote who it was from. I just think I read it somewhere. But if you're not part of the solution, then you're still part of the problem. And, you know, but I think the thing for, for people, I, I certainly know when I'm running uh, modern slavery awareness sessions, is that some people find this so overwhelming that they're thinking, how can I make a difference? So they stay in that position of indifference in your, if you like. So they would love to make a difference, but they just don't know how. But the simple thing like having conversations about this and supporting, um, you know, uh, Blue Bear Coffee or whatever other programs are out there is making a difference, isn't it? And, and being informed is actually making a difference because when you know how to spot the signs and where to report them to and what you can do about those things, then you're actually making a difference in your own community. I think sometimes, uh, when, I know when I sit down with people and I do the awareness training, they have this ideology that maybe you have to be somebody who's employed in a role or is coming from a bigger organisation. They don't realise that people power actually is an incredible tool, isn't it? Information is, is power, but the application of information is even more powerful. And knowing when to apply it is actually wisdom. So um, this is this this to me is just, you know, a beautiful conversation to encourage people to know more about this subject. Um, but coming here now to 2020, we are we are in this very unusual time where um, we can see that from 2015, when the Modern Slavery Act was introduced here in the UK, that there's been lots of shift and change. And you you mentioned the figures there of 40.3 million people um, worldwide. But if we just look at the UK, because that's where many of our listeners will be coming from, I was absolutely uh, shocked that the Home Office released figures of 10,627 at the end of 2019 uh, reported cases of modern slavery here in the UK. And that was a 52% increase on the year before. How do you think that's going to pan out? I mean, I know this is a huge question, but just, you know, from what, what, what you've known, what you're hearing, what you've seen, how do you think that's going to pan out over, over the next 12 months, really, especially as um, COVID-19 develops and we see the, uh, the devastation of that? Yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's certainly worth pointing out that that, that estimation or that record of 10,000 plus uh, reported cases is you know that's what's come to our attention you know that's what's come to the police attention it's a fraction, fraction of actually what, what, what was represented yeah absolutely tip of the iceberg um so so i think i think we are moving in the right direction i think i think there are lots more organizations that are growing and are taking involvement i think there are more businesses that are are, are looking um to make to eradicate slavery from from their supply chains, I think it has become an increasing uh, political issue. 
on, on many MPs' agendas, uh, increasingly significant. Uh, so I think all of those things are helping, and I think we will see an increasing number of cases. I think we want to see an increasing number of cases because we know it's just a pinch of what's going on. So the more cases we're identifying means that certain recording mechanisms are working. Whether it's, well, we've seen great success with the modern slavery hotline being used. That's yeah. seen a, you know, a, a very steep increase year on year of cases that are coming through that. So we want people to grow in their knowledge of what it might look like. We want people to respond. We want people to know how to respond. Do I call the police for this? It doesn't feel like something to call 999 about. It just looked weird when I went to, the nail bar and I noticed there was a mattress when I went to the toilet there was a mattress on the mm. floor it looked like someone was living there in the back of them or whatever that's weird but do I call the police about that well who else would I call when they know there's a, a modern slavery hotline hey perhaps I'll perhaps I'll give that a call and there's there are lots of different ways that you can respond now these are new these are relatively new bits of technology and um and that's good so so in answer to your question, I think the more we report, the more we recognise, the better. Um, but also what we need to do is ensure that our government response as well as our yes. NGO response, there's that word again, um, is, is sufficient and proportionate to this issue. Uh, you know, we're going to go for a great deal of austerity. I think that's some, somewhat undeniable as mm. a consequence of, of, of this pandemic. Mm. And what we will have to do, like every other great cause, um, is battle for our own percentage of attention and spending uh, when we're dealing with this issue, which is going to be a challenge. Um, but, but I do believe that we're heading in the right direction. Yes, so um, thinking about austerity and then the vulnerabilities that austerity brings, uh, you know, human life into, then there, there, there is going to be an increase of opportunity for exploiters to tap into to everyday people like you and I. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where, where there is vulnerability, there's exploitation, very sadly, yeah. and there will be a great deal of vulnerability, not just in this country, but in the existing source countries, um, or countries that are more prone to, to human trafficking victims. So you're going to see a great deal of opportunism um, with, with people that make their living or make a lot of money from, from exploiting people, from commoditizing human beings. That, that we can only imagine is going to go in one direction. When there's desperate lack of jobs, employment opportunities, and there's an advert in a paper that says, we might have a job for you, or there's a gossip word on the street goes around some way, there's a text message that goes out, we're looking for young women to come and help us, we're building a fashion brand, or we need some seamstresses, or um, we, need a, we need a couple of people to work in our coffee shop, or yeah. we've got this job in an agricultural community, we need some yeah. pickers, and, and that's where it starts. And, and people will use that opportunity. Well, I don't know if I want to do that, but what are my other options? I'm flipping yeah, starving and I haven't yeah. had a piece of work for, I'll take a chance. You know, I'll expose myself to that possible risk. Yeah. Um, and, and then we don't see them again because their freedom stolen and they're trafficked. And, and that is already a, a picture of what happens. Um, so I can, I can certainly see that increased uh, opportunity for people that that have very well organized machines at doing that uh, mm. continuing mm. and it's to be vigilant isn't it to be vigilant to those things that we like you just said that the, the situation you're in a nail bar having your nails done and you notice there's a mattress by the toilet you know is that is that normal really for a business to have a mattress there why is that mattress there who's sleeping on it who's, who's sleeping on the premises what's the story behind that mattress 
But I'm also, um, that brings to mind my husband and I are city pastors in the city of Birmingham and um, when we're not locked down. And um, we go out of a weekend looking after the nighttime economy. And when we're out there, you know, we're vigilant for the for the predators, the white vans that are hidden down side streets, looking for those vulnerable, you know, party goers that are a little bit inebriated and then they are they are booking taxis that are not necessarily legitimate taxis that are then ferrying them around to the van, you know, and then all of a sudden they disappear and are not seen again. And I think it's hidden in plain sight, isn't it? You know, it's not just these sensational cases that you hear on the television that the news are reporting, it's happening in our everyday streets, in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. It, that's the shocking thing is what, you know, I, at the moment, like I said, I'm in Norfolk and there's an amazing charity called Stop the Traffic and, yeah. and they use data to, to identify trends and areas and hotspots. And you know, one of the issues they found was a hotspot in, in the north of Norfolk in an agricultural community. And you think, hey, and they were, doing a, they were doing an awareness campaign with a local bank for the bank to recognize people coming in uh, and making small cash deposits and they might be under the control of other people and yeah. um you know how to recognize that from from people working inside of a bank you think it's probably in some beautiful uh, countryside town but actually on the outskirts of that there are people in a field working you know 16 hours a day yeah. seven days a week and living in bunk beds in in a you know, shed that's not okay it's completely and utterly illegal and i think it's i think there is also a certain preconception that well they're poor and they needed the work and it's probably better here than it is in their home country and there's probably a certain degree of agency and acceptance that okay they might be being paid slightly below minimum wage but in their country yeah, there is that but that that isn't trafficking you know there's labor exploitation and there is uh, you know illegal wages but that's quite different to when people have lost their freedom, when their passports have been taken away from them, they're paying off a debt that they'll never cover against the threat of violence. They don't have the liberty to stop and return home. That, that is trafficking and that's an extremely criminal offence. It's still disgusting that people are exploited and not paid properly. Mm. Um, but I think, I think there is a danger people would think, oh, well, that's a, it's just a problem by we're using cheap European, Eastern European labour, and there's there's a degree of um, yeah. agency in that. No, that's don't get those things conflated. Uh, trafficking is 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 very clear. It's very apparent, and it's very very wrong. Mm. Mm. And I think it's that word, isn't it? Indifference. We we can't just oh, I'll just turn a blind eye to that because in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's not so bad. At least they've at least they've got a job, but. But looking at something again that you've just said about um, the exploitation of people, you know, in rural areas, we are seeing now that that is on the increase, isn't it? You know, traffickers are becoming quite sophisticated, aren't they? And also when, um, when, when you've just used the word when they're paying off a debt, for those people listening, they might think that that person's just run up a debt. And actually, it's a debt that they haven't really run up. It's a debt that the trafficker has put in place for their travel their accommodation so they're being told aren't they they're being hoodwinked come and have this wonderful job I've got this great job for you pay me this fee to, and I'll get you over to the job and I'll introduce you and I'll get you set up 
and by the way you can't have your wages uh, this week because you still need to pay for your accommodation oh and by the way your food needs to come out of that as well so these um the people that come that are being trafficked they they they've got no chance of paying off these debts because every time there's an opportunity for the exploiter to say actually no that money's mine because of this that's what's happening isn't it yeah i think you've described it really really well and i think there are other tactics that they use on, alongside that where they will potentially threaten at least yeah. um, to, to either not just harm you but actually i know the community you come from yeah. Yeah. Uh, in romania in albania in serbia in vietnam yeah. uh, wherever they've been trafficked from and, and if you don't um you know if you if you cause us trouble we'll make yeah. sure that trouble comes to your family yeah. at home uh, and you know that that any opportunity to uh, have control mm. and 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 threaten that person to the extent that they're not willing to even consider opportunity of escape yeah. is what they're looking to achieve yeah. um, and and they'll use any tactic available to do that and uh, but yes you, you describe you describe the debt um sort of model very very well there is there is that debt that never gets paid off mm. and it's that obligation to pay it off and there's that small crack of hope that if i do do this eventually i will pay off my debt yeah. combined yeah. with all those other malevolent features of yeah. how trafficking takes place but it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty unpleasant and it's certainly one of the reasons why of all the issues um you can get involved in it's one of the things that i feel driven to do something about this particular issue yeah. because it really is so yeah. egregious yeah and then you see so you've got the debt bondage and then the psychological bondage as you said they you know the the exploiter has got this uh, way of then taking the person's mind and manipulating it to the point of using fear-based behavior so that the motive is driven from from creating fear in that person of you know oh my family you know i, I and the exploiter saying you know we know where your family live we've got people there we can we can take them and we can deal with them uh, we can harm them and then also the element of um trusting the mistrusting the authorities the police won't want to know if you go if you did run away and you did go to the authorities the police won't want to know because you're the one that's going to get into trouble not us mm -hmm. so it becomes that double-edged sword doesn't it absolutely bondage those migration issues are another one you know if they take your passport away if they used a yeah. counterfeit passport in the first place like you say that you know police you're going to be made trouble you can't go to the police you can't go to immigration they'll send you home and we've got people at home waiting to to meet you at the airport so there are lots of different tactics that are exploited yeah yeah so i'm very mindful of time Bryn, and i know that you have got a call to get to so i, I am want to be respectful of that but i am going to say publicly that i do want to talk to you again and again and again and again because i think this is a conversation that can continue because i think there's a very strong call to action for those people that are listening today and if so to sum this up then as we as we draw this to a close what would your call to action be for anyone that's feeling compelled right now is feeling their heart be not just their heartstrings but you know there is a wow yeah i want to get involved i want to do something what would mm. you say to them yeah absolutely i think it's great if, if you do feel this is an issue on your heart and i hope you do um is to start to explore ways of, of contributing i would think about uh, increasing um you know if you if you use social media look at who you fo you follow look at some great organizations out there um, you know, we've mentioned a few in this call, Stop the Traffic, IJM, Justice in Care, Unseen. Um, but 
but also to, to build your, your knowledge and your learning and look to find out a little bit more about this issue. But also you can affect it in so many ways. I mean, I happen to be an ex-cop, so I went into an investigator's role, but you, you, but I've also started a coffee company. I've got absolutely zero experience of coffee. Uh, I mean, I love it. I love drinking it. I love buying it. I love brewing it, but I was never a, a barista for 20 years or something. So, so you can be quite open-minded about that. Think about what do you enjoy? Can you use your passions? Um, can, can what brings you pleasure contribute to this issue in some way? We've got one of our followers on Blue Bear as a, as, as a blogger, and she's doing her own fundraising campaign as a consequence of of coming to know this issue and, and, and be engaged with one of our charity partners. She said, well, what can I do to contribute? And she's going out and doing a, a, a run and she's gonna raise money that way. You might, have, you might be able to very obviously use your skills. And, and if you find a charity that you like, you could contact them and say, how can I help you? I'm a graphic designer, would that help? I'm an accountant, would that help? Flipping certainly would for me. Um, <laughs> so you might be able to do it very directly, but you can certainly use your influence. You can use your Facebook, you can use your social media, you can use your conversations um, to carry this message. And, and I do think it's very hard. Um, there are lots of good causes out there, but if this is one that you have on your heart for whatever reason, I think your money is important. Mm. I had a guy come on my podcast once and he said, hey, prayers and, and good thoughts are great. They're awesome, but money is what we need. And I kind of liked the audacity in that message. Mm. We, we, certainly as Brits, money is very uncomfortable to talk about. Mm. Um, but I do think, it, 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 you know, you look at your bank account and it can be quite indicative about where your heart is. Mm. So I, I wouldn't say, you know, give to a point of pain, but I would challenge you. If you, this is something that matters to you, then find someone you agree with you look at their model and how they're taking this issue forward and sign up to a direct debit mm. and, and you find an affordable amount of money that you're peaceful with mm -hmm. and you go okay i'm going to give to it and then you're engaged you're in there get get some skin in the game is what i say find mm. a means of getting some engagement and if some of it can be through a place of real joy and enthusiasm and some of it can be somewhat sacrificial i'm going to mm. give some of my money to this mm. and then of course you can use your buying habits so when you think right what products am i going to buy um, you know, I want to try and make sure I'm buying the sort of product that wasn't uh, created by exploiting someone in another country and produced very cheaply and all the money's really heading in one direction. And it's not back to the person that produced it. So if you were looking for coffee, you might want to try ours <laughs> or some of the other great yeah. companies or yeah. chocolate or, or, or lots of different products. Look at your clothing. How can I try and reduce those issues at source by actually um, sort of choosing where I spend my cash and that that will have a huge influence yeah. so there are there are there are no shortage of ways you can influence this mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll need leading in those ways because it might like you said earlier on Debbie it can be quite overwhelming mm -hmm. um, so yeah be kind to yourself yeah. but but uh, but look for those opportunities and and they will come um, so yeah just get some skin in the game and one of the things that I did just as we draw this to a close now is my slavery footprints. Um, so we'll pop the link in underneath the podcast, but you can go online and you can actually do your slavery footprint and you just asks you to put in your buying habits to answer some questions. And at the end, it actually reveals to you how many slaves you have, which is phenomenal. It really gets you thinking then about your buying habits, where you shop, the supply chain in which is used to get this this blouse that I am wearing you know that mm. t-shirt that you're wearing that coffee that we love to brew first thing in the morning you know it starts to show you where 
you know you can really be consciously thinking about your slavery footprint so it's been absolutely fabulous to talk to you today Bryn I'm so grateful for you sharing your time and your heart with us um, my prayer is that as people listen to this their hearts will be stirred but stirred into action into doing something you know and maybe one of the things that you have just said but I hope that you will um, I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope that you will come back and we can have more of a conversation because I just yeah I really want to get to know Bryn Frosnith so, um, and I want, I want the world to know you because it's important work that you're doing, you and many others that I'm going to have on this podcast. You're a collective of human beings who are making a difference. So um, sending you lots of love. Have a great day. And um, we will bring you back on at some point. But thank you. Thanks, thanks very much. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode and found it informative. Do share this podcast to help us help others. To find out more about who we are and what we do, go to www.tctogether.org.uk or you can find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash impact poverty or you can head over to Instagram and Twitter and follow us there at impact poverty. For some great resources that you can use, you can go to www.thecluerinitiative.org. And for help or to report a suspicion or seek further advice, you can go to www.modernslaveryhelpline.org or call them on 08000 121 700.